couple of weeks ago, I started with a series on, on the rapture, and not so much what is the rapture, but as much as really our attitude towards it, our understanding of what it's all about, certainly, but also our approach to it. Are we afraid? Are we excited? Are we confused? What's going on with what this once in a, all of human history event is the rapture all about that will impact every single person in this room and every single person that is watching this and every single person that is alive and will be alive at the rapture. It will impact every soul, all 8 billion people on this earth. Every single one. No one's going to be exempt. So we better know what this is all about and we better make sure our hearts are where they need to be. And I want, to have, I want us to have an understanding of us not to be afraid of it or uh, anxious about it or confused about it in any way. So I want us to look at that this morning a little bit and in the next several weeks as we talk about this event. And today I want to, uh, to pivot a little bit and kind of set another foundation to what the rapture is because there's this little discussed event. I don't know if I've ever heard it preached on in any church that I've been part of. I know I haven't preached on it or taught about it. And it's really more of a teaching time here today uh, of, what, of what this is all about. And it's called, it's really funny, it's a funny word, it's Bema. It's the Bema judgment, B-E-M-A, Bema, okay? I want you to write this down if you're taking notes, the Bema judgment. Now, this judgment is different than other judgments that are mentioned in the Bible. You've probably heard of the, uh, the sheep and the goats judgment. You've probably heard of the great white throne judgment. Those are the three different judgments other than the Bema seat that are, that are mentioned in the Bible. But this particular judgment is a judgment that is going to be a reward for our good works, not punishment for our sins. So, Phew, okay, so there's that. We can say, all right, I'm looking forward to this one. So let's dive in to this particular subject of the Bema judgment seat that's really going to help us continue our walk and our work for Jesus and his kingdom as we look forward to his soon return. How many believe that Jesus can come back just any moment? That's right. So let me begin by saying this, that good works will not save us. Only faith in Jesus' finished work on the cross of Calvary will save us. Good works will not cleanse you of your sins. So this is not what we're talking about. I've heard my whole life and raised in church that you don't need to do anything to earn salvation. Thank God that Jesus has already paid the price. Amen? Amen. And while that's true, I also believe that the pendulum has swung way too far the other way. And we've taken that whole thing of saying, well, Jesus has already done it all. There's nothing I need to do to earn salvation, so I'm just going to punch in my ticket to heaven, and I'm not going to do anything for Jesus. There's, a, there's an old adage that says that about 20% of the people do about 80% of the work in any given church. Now, I would say that that's, that that's probably a little skewed here. We have more people that are actually doing more for the church of Jesus Christ in this local body, which we thankfully are appreciative of. But there's still folks in the church in this church and in other churches and in the big church, C Church of Jesus Christ, that come to church every so often, they're saved, they know that they are, they'll, you know, they'll do a little bit of prayer, maybe a little bit of reading God's Word, but man, they're just kind of skimming the surface, and they're really not doing much of anything for the kingdom of God, whether it be through this church or whether it be just for the kingdom in this community or wherever it is that God has placed you as you're watching this here today. The Bible is clear that our good works are not the cause of salvation, but instead it's the effect of salvation. 
I'll say it again. Good works are not the cause of salvation. They are the effect of salvation. Meaning that I'm not going to do good works and get saved. I'm going to do good works because I am saved. And I'm grateful and appreciative for what Jesus has done for me. So this message is not a message of works, works, works. And I do not have a theology of works, works, works. It's not do, do, do relationship with Jesus. It's done, done, done. God has already done it all for us. Amen? We simply work and do for Jesus because we're grateful for all that he's done for us. And because of that, did you know that there's benefits to this work we do out of our gratitude towards Jesus? How many likes benefits this morning? Yeah. You ever look for a job and when your interview process, you're kind of weighing out which jobs maybe you're trying to take based on the benefits? Uh, these are better benefits here. I'm going to go with that job, right? Well, these are the best benefits of any job out there. These are the best benefits that any, any, any employment out there has ever seen. One day as believers, how many is a believer in Jesus Christ? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, if you know that you know that you know that you know that you're saved, amen? How many knows that you know that you know that you're saved? That I'm saved and I know that I am. Then this message is for you today. Because if you know that you know that you know that you're saved and you know that you are, you are going to face this Bema judgment. Listen in Hebrews chapter 9, starting in verse 27. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face the judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. In other words, he's saying, I'm not here to cast judgment on you. I'm going I'm I'm to bless you with some things. I'm going to show up again. Now, everyone's going to be judged. Everybody that has ever lived, that is living now, or will live in the future. By the way, we got a brand new baby in this church. Um, <laughs> Atlas was born Thursday morning at 728 thereabouts. He was 8 pounds, 13 ounces, whoo, and 21 inches long. He looked full grown when we saw him. Kelly and I went and saw him on, on Thursday night, and boy, he was looking good. He was already driving a car out and stuff. It was amazing. It was amazing. Big guy. Uh, cute little guy. Looks, uh, looks like Lance, so pray for him. No, I'm kidding. Hey, Lance. Love you, buddy. Love you. You're watching. No, sweet kid. Beautiful, precious little baby. And so God bless, uh, God bless the uh, Harlow family. And also, I want to give you a report real quick on, uh, on Don Dillard. Uh, Don and Linda got in a car accident last Sunday afternoon, and we were able to pray for them last Sunday night. But for those who weren't here last Sunday night, uh, they were rear-ended on I-77 as they were coming back from Columbia. They were stopping for traffic, and the car behind them did not, and just whacked them. And so they thought they had more injuries than they do. So praise God, they had it checked out. No broken bones. But Don's uh, back is pretty banged up, and he'd already been having trouble with it. And so I've been checking with them every day, and praise God that they're getting better. And, and so just bruised and banged up. But please, let's pray for the Dillards, okay? If you will, I'd appreciate it. Precious people, and uh, they're encouraged uh, as they're, you know, they're, they need a new car. Uh, I mean, their car was paid for. It was more valuable to them than it was, you know, worth what they could probably get out of it. So if you have an extra car laying around and you feel like you might want to let them borrow it or have it, uh, let's bless them as well with that. But uh, with that said, continue to pray for the Dillards. Uh, but as I said, everyone's going to be judged, sinners and saints alike. But there's different judgments for different groups of people. As I mentioned, there's the sheep and goats, there's the great white throne, then there's the Bema judgment. I'm going to answer that question in just a few moments. But the first question that I want us to ask is this. What is a Bema seat? What is a Bema 
seat. If you're taking notes, write that question down. Bema, I believe, is kind of a funny word. You sure don't have people... I haven't said that word. I don't say it in my daily language. Hey, there's a Bema seat. Bema. Just don't say Bema. All right? It's, it's a funny word in our English vernacular. But back in Jesus' day, it was a very familiar word. And what the Bema seat is, and even now it is, it's a court. It's a tribunal. It's a public or private platform where judgments are made. If you saw the, uh, if you read anything about the ancient Olympics and you saw any pictures uh, of this, uh, a bema seat was common in the ancient Olympics and that there was this judge that sat on an elevated seat and had a perspective at the finish line to rule who came in first, second, and third to be able to hand out the, uh, the awards and the prizes. So right there, a bema seat, an elevated seat that would be able to bring judgment and make decisions. Uh, in fact, if you are familiar with the crucifixion and the trial of Jesus Christ, Pontius Pilate sat upon a, a bema seat when Jesus faced him at his trial before Pontius Pilate, before he was crucified. John 19, 13 said, when Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat him down on the judgment seat or the bema seat at a place known as the stone pavement. And then it says in parentheses, which is in Aramaic, uh, Gabbatha. Now, Gabbatha, it's interesting, you don't see too many Aramaic words. Usually, you just see the Bible, if you're reading it, you just see English words in there. But every once in a while, you'll see words in Aramaic and other sorts of languages like that. And so, that's a pretty significant thing that, 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 would, that made it in there, that, that, that made it through the process that we would be reading it here today. So, why is that word, we don't use that word Gabbatha either, but what does Gabbatha mean? Gabbatha means an elevated place or an elevated platform. So, it's almost like saying, I want to just... Uh, Reemphasize here that, that Pilate was sitting, seated on an elevated area, a stone pavement area, and looking down on Jesus in judgment. Now, also, Gabbatha means haughty, H-A-U-G-H-T-Y, haughty. That means arrogant. It, it means uh, a place of self-importance. And so what it really what it was saying was that Pilate was in this sense of, of, of uh, sitting on this uh, on this judgment seat, looking down in a sense of self-importance and maybe even arrogance. In fact, you can even see in, in Pilate's uh, interaction with him, as he was seated on this Bema seat, he had this sort of haughty sort of approach to Jesus. If you look at John 19:10 and 11, uh, Pilate says, do you refuse to speak to me? He says, don't you realize that I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? That sounds kind of arrogant, doesn't it? A little bit haughty, like, I got the goods on you. I have the power over you. But I love Jesus' answer. He says, you wouldn't have any power over me if it were not given to you from above. So you see, there was this sense of this haughtiness, this gabatha, this, this bema that he was casting down. I have authority over you. And Jesus said, no, you don't. No, you don't. You wouldn't have it if it weren't given to you from above. And I, I love that, by the way, it's a reminder. Let me just say this to you today, as a reminder to each one of you today. That no matter who's in charge or tries to lord over you anything in your life, that ultimately God is still control and he has ultimate authority over your life. That has nothing to do with my message today, but I just, I love to pull out those little nuggets and just give them to you to say, hey, don't forget. Someone may be saying to you, I have authority over you. It may be, it may be your mayor. It may be your governor. It may be your president. It may be your boss. It may be your a friend, a person that, that feels like they have some sort of leverage over you. But ultimately, know this. God is in control and he has all authority. And don't let anybody tell you otherwise. God's in charge.
Amen? So this Bema seat was very common in Jesus' time, and people understood the significance of it. I think our modern-day uh, comparative would be uh, the, the idea of a judge seated up on this courtroom. You've seen in courtrooms, if you've ever been, where the judge sits up a little bit higher, doesn't he? Just a little bit higher. He's not eye-to-eye. Eye. He's up here a little bit, and he's kind of looking down on the situation and the judge in this court of law makes the decision of guilt or innocence and the consequences either good or bad on those judgments to the people standing before him the judge is seated on a beam of seat of judgment just like Jesus will be when he judges us but Jesus doesn't sit haughtily on that seat ready to thump us thank God he sits humbly ready to reward us so that's what a Bema seat is. You understand that? Jesus is going to be seated on this judgment seat and he's going to be looking down on us, but humbly ready to reward. So here's the second question. Where is this Bema seat? Where is it? Well, it's in heaven. It's in heaven. It's in God's magnificent judges' chambers. Again, we're going to be standing there one day. Imagine, just everybody has their own different imagination. What would God's magnificent judges' chambers look like? Can you picture it? Whatever it is that you're picturing, it's far beyond that, okay? In grandeur and awesomeness. Romans chapter 14, verses 10 and 12 says this. You then, why do you judge your brother and sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? You can almost say, why are you sitting on that beam of seat and drudging them? Why are you sitting there being haughty and arrogant towards them? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. We will all stand on that, before that beam of seat. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. He's really talking to Christians there. You're, why do you judge your brother and sister? You see, that's speaking to the body of Christ right there. It's not just anybody. So it's speaking specifically to believers. Why do you, brothers and sisters, judge your brothers and sisters? You're going to stand before the beam of seat one day, and you're going to give an account of yourself to God. 2 Corinthians 5.10 continues with this thought, says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat, the beam of seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. I'm so thankful this morning that my worst critic and my worst enemy will not be the one judging me. Amen? How about you? I'm so thankful that an arrogant, holier-than-thou, unforgiving, contemptuous person won't be judging me. How about you? <laughs> There's a merciful God sitting there, a loving, gracious Heavenly Father, a beautiful Savior named Jesus. You know, if, 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 if it were the case that my worst critic or worst enemy would, would be judging me, I would be a goner for sure. How about you? I'm relieved instead that my benevolent, my humble, my gracious, my merciful Savior... Jesus will be on that beam of seat. And he's going to be the one handing out rewards and also meeting out merciful judgments for my acts, whether good or bad. So the beam of seat is in heaven, in God's magnificent judges' chambers. Third question, how many future judgments are there? We're going to get to this in, right now. Remember I talked about these three? If the beam of judgment is only for believers, then what about the others who haven't accepted Christ? There's three judgments listed in the New Testament. The first one is the beam of judgment. That's going to be in heaven. That's going to be after the rapture. It's going to be for believers who have placed their faith in Christ and rewards will be given. Second judgment is the sheep and goats judgment. Jesus talked about this in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 25. 
And this is going to take place after the seven-year tribulation, but before the millennial reign. So just picture this for just a second. After the tribulation, the Bible says that there's going to be billions of people that are going to die in the tribulation. But there will also be a remnant of, 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 I don't know, maybe a billion and a half or so that are going to remain after the, after the tribulation. They're going, to be the, they're going to be either the lucky ones or the tough ones. I'm not sure, but they're going to make it through. And there's going to be a lot of stuff going on uh, in the tribulation. And so it's just going to be dodging all kinds of bullets. And, and by the grace of God, they make it through. And I hope that no one has to experience that, by the way. But at the end of the tribulation, Jesus is going to stand in this judgment. And the Bible, Jesus describes it in Matthew 25, where he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. It's the sheep and goat judgment. Now, those that make it through the tribulation, and there are going to be people that are going to deny the mark of the beast, the Antichrist, all of that, and they're actually going to be saved. Many are going to be martyred, but some are going to make it all the way through to the end of the tribulation. And then Jesus is going to come back with us, the bride of Christ. All of us are going to have our own awesome looking horses, heavenly horses. And he's going to be on this awesome white horse in front of us, leading the way. And he's going to speak out and just by, the, by his breath, he's going to wipe out all of those that are in opposition to him, the Antichrist and all the rest of them that are trying to rise up against him in Jerusalem. He's going to say, you're done. And they'll be done. And we're going to go, that was awesome. And we're not going to do anything but just watch it. But after that, Jesus is going to set up what the Bible calls his millennial reign. He's going to set up an earthly millennial reign. Millennial means a thousand years. So he's going to set up a thousand year Earthly reign, wherein will dwell righteousness. He will reign in righteousness. And what's going to happen is before that millennial reign is part of this setup, he's going to have a judgment between the sheep and the goats. And the sheep are going to be the ones that have accepted him. They're still going to be in their mortal bodies because we will be in our glorified bodies on the earth. This is a whole other message, but stay with me here. We're going to reign and rule with him during the millennial reign in our glorified bodies as the bride of Christ. There's going to be some people that are going to make it through the tribulation. And God's going to, Jesus is going to say, okay, you're a sheep. You've accepted me. You're a Christian. You're a believer. You can stay. The goats, you're over there, and they're going to be cast into hell. Okay? So he's going to do that separation. And, and so, and so I, I, I think a lot of people have asked me this. So how, how is it that there's going to be this rebellion at the end of the thousand years? Well, this kind of explains it. Because there's going to be these mortal bodied believers who are going to grow old, but they're going to get married and have babies and all that. And over the generations, I mean, think about a thousand years. Some of them are not going to have that same tribulation experience. The stories are going to be passed down. They're going to get watered down. You're going to get distracted with other things. And that sin nature that's in them is going to say, you know what? No, I don't want to believe in Jesus. And we see that happening today. You know, we can raise kids in church and off they go and say, no, I don't want to believe in that. It's going to happen in the millennial reign of Christ, too, because it says at the end of the thousand years, Satan's going to be released for a season and he's going to rally the troops again. His troops is going to come against Jesus and Jesus is going to wipe them out one last time. Where do these people come from? It's the ancestors of those that are the sheep in the sheep and goats uh, judgment that's going to take place. This also explains, by the way, the utter depravity of the sin nature. That we're in right now. Think about it. 
Jesus is going to reign and rule in righteousness. There's never, there never will have been and there never will be a more perfect and righteous and fair and holy leader than Jesus is going to be in these thousand years. He's going to reign perfectly in righteousness. And yet, because of the sin nature, the depravity of where we are now, and not just then, but now, they're going to reject that and say, I don't want any of that. And they're going to just jump in there with the Antichrist or not uh, with Satan himself and, and try to overturn that kingdom. Even in a perfect environment of a righteous reign, people are going to rebel and reject Jesus. I hope that you're not doing that today. And understand, though, that there's a strong depravity in your sin nature right now that's drawing you away. Be careful. Don't let that sin nature draw you away to the things that are not of Jesus. But let the Holy Spirit take charge of your life and say, Lord, I, 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 I want to yield my spirit to your spirit. I want to die to my sin nature. And I want to let the life of Christ rise up in me now on this side of the rapture, on this side of the tribulation, on this side of the millennial reign. Amen? And finally, the great white throne. Apparently, that's going to be on the earth. It's for non-believers after these thousand years. In Revelation chapter 20, you can read about it. It's a pretty final nail in the coffin. Those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life were, are going to be cast into hell for an eternity, forever. No more hope. So even with the rapture, even with the tribulation, even with the millennial reign, do you see the mercy of God continuing to roll out for us? Because he wishes that no one would perish, but that all would be saved. Now here's my strong advice to you today. Don't get saved during the tribulation. Mm -mm. You think it's tough now when the Holy Spirit is removed from the earth at the rapture, when the church is removed from the, church, uh, the earth at, at the rapture, it's going to be by a sheer act of your will that you're going to make a commitment to Jesus. Right now, today, this morning, the Holy Spirit is, is drawing you. 24-7, the Holy Spirit is drawing you. We don't know what it's like to not have the Holy Spirit over the earth. But one day, when the rapture takes place, the Holy Spirit will be removed, and there's going to be such a vacuum, there's going to be such an emptiness, there's going to be such a, a sense of knowing something is, is diabolically different here. And that is that the Holy Spirit is not here convicting me anymore. And by the sheer act of my knowledge now, I'm going to have to make a decision for Jesus Christ. And be martyred for him. Or hunker down and hope for the best and try to make it through those seven years. So thank God for the Holy Spirit who's convicting us today. Let him convict you to the point of decision today. To say, I will give my life to Jesus today on this side of the rapture. While the Holy Spirit is still here drawing me in and convicting me of my sin. Amen? Amen. Here's the fourth question that I want us to answer today is how will we get to the Bema seat? <laughs> well, I can tell you, but I can read it to you better. First Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 is a future news article <laughs> with a headline of billions of people missing, I hope is the headline. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive. How many is alive here today? This is us. We who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. 
So what they're saying is that the dead in Christ are going to be raised first. The, the dead in Christ who are in the ground right now are going to be raised first, and then we're going to follow after them. It says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then after that, we who are still alive, how many still alive? And are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. <laughs> Therefore, encourage one another with these words. How many is encouraged this morning? Yeah? So what's going to happen is this trumpet's going to sound. Uh, there's going to be a, a, a mighty shout, and it's going to sh sh shake and wake the dead in Christ up and say, here we go. And in a twinkling of an eye, that's going to take place. And just in the next twinkling, we're going to be following right behind him, and we're going to meet Jesus in the air. You see, one day, just like any other day, maybe just like even a day like today, where we're going to be about our business, just going through our day, when suddenly we're all going to be caught up in the rapture. And when it takes place, it's going to be too late to make a decision for Jesus if you're left behind. Our bodies are going to be translated. They're going to be changed as we go up. Because I know that my body, I don't know about you, but my body can only make it so far up into the spheres before I start needing oxygen. Right? And I'm going to start melting like those guys on the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark or something. Ah! You know? At the end of the movie there. So my, my body is going to be translated into a glorified heavenly body that can make it into the, into the atmospheres and get up wherever, God, wherever heaven is and I can, I can go to Saturn and Jupiter and Mars and all that other stuff. Whatever. It's not going to bother me anymore. I'm gonna be, we're all going to be translated in, in our, into our glorified bodies. And thank God that all the effects of this sin in our lives, the sickness, this aging, this sorrow, the brokenness, the temptation, all those things are going to be gone. We will be from that moment on in a glorified, perfect, and incorruptible, sinless body. And then we'll stand before Jesus individually. One by one. This is not a group blessing. This is not going to be a group reward. Hey, Faith, you guys did a great job. Let's all stand here together. Let me just kind of just throw it all out there. No, individually, one by one. You, your personal Savior is going to lovingly and graciously engage with you personally and gently. Oh, thank you so much. Can you just see what he's doing? Can you just have that conversation with just imagine what that's going to be like? Thank you so much. For what you've done for me and then maybe he'll go through some examples when no one saw what you did in secret you didn't let the left hand know what the right hand was doing you you did it as unto me i saw it here's your reward and he's going to just give you things he's going to reward you that's where that well done thou good and faithful servant comes into play well done well done well done well done. I want to hear that. How about you? Well done. I long for that day. So here's, here's the fifth question. This is what I want to spend the most time on here today. How is this judgment different from the others? Well, as I said, the, the last two are going to be for sheep and goats and for the great white throne for judgment. You know, the sinners are going to go to hell and those that accepted Jesus, the second one, they'll, they'll serve him in the millennial reign but we in the bema seat won't have to fear standing before him 
We don't have to fear that he's going to kick us out. That he's going to cast us to hell. The Bema Seat Judgment isn't about heaven or hell. But it's about rewards. Let me read to you several scriptures here. You might want to write these down. You can look at them later on, but they'll be on the screen as well. Psalm 62, 12 speaks about Jesus this way. It says, with you, Lord, is unfailing love. You reward everyone according to what they have done. So I want you to just look at that for a second. You see the way he approaches us again. He approaches us with unfailing love towards us. He's not looking at us sideways. He's not going, well, you guys, he's not disappointed in us. He's, he's not angry at us. His nature is unfailing love. It's perfect love. It's a complete love. His attitude towards you even now is that. Did you know that he loves you with an unfailing, perfect, gentle love? Right now, it's a complete love. Did you know that? Yeah. Yeah. Matthew 16, 27 says, But the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. I don't know how much clearer it can be. Jesus is coming for you and me, and he's going to reward us for what we have done. Again, doing something for Jesus is not going to save us. But I want to do something for him because I am saved. Rewards are given to us for what we have done for him because what we do for Jesus matters. Ephesians 6, 8 says, Because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you whatever good they do, whether they be slave or free. Again, this is not going to be a judgment for our sin because that sin is under the blood of Jesus. It's, it's been removed, the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west. It's not even remembered anymore. I'm so thankful that Jesus is not the accuser of the brethren. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And what happens is that Satan likes to do that now. But when we're at the Bema seat, Satan's not going to be standing there saying, yeah, yeah, at the Bema judgment. Satan's not going to be going, yeah, but Jesus, what about all those horrible things that that Brian did? He's not going to be anywhere near. He's, He's gone. It's just going to be me and Jesus. And there's not going to be an accuser. There's not going to be a reminder of all the awful stuff that I did. That's under the blood. Jesus doesn't even remember it anymore. He's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. All I see is the blood. All I see is my blood. That's all I see. And, and he's forgiven. Thank God for that. Amen? Amen. I'm so thankful that Jesus has washed me clean of all my sins. And I'm so thankful that he's merciful. Psalm 103, verse 10 says it this way. Our Savior doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. And Jesus doesn't repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his complete, compassionate, perfect love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. They're gone. They're gone. Satan would say, no, they're not. But God's word says, yes, they are. Isn't that good to know? Well, on that for just a second, no matter what you've done, they're gone. How far is the east from the west? It's forever. They never meet. It goes that way and it goes that way and they just keep going in a straight line. The destiny of those who have placed their faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins has been settled on the cross of Calvary. 
Romans 8, 1 says, therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who's in Christ Jesus this morning? Then there's no condemnation in you. John 5, 24 says, very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word, this is Jesus saying it, and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. The curse of sin is removed from you and me today. We've already crossed from death to life in Jesus. Jesus has become a curse in our place. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole or on a cross. We've died to sins. We've died to our own sins and now we live in his righteousness. Amen. So we're now the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for me. God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for you. Put your name there. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So because of this, we can run with confidence the race that's set before us. Uh, don't let the enemy tell you otherwise uh, that, that you're not saved. You are saved. I'm saved and I know that I am. I'm saved and I know that I am. An old song that says, I'm saved and I know that I am. I'm so glad I know that I am. How many is saved this morning and you know it? <laughs> Hebrews 12.1 says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off. The condemnation and all those things that would try to hinder us and the sin that would try to easily entangle us. And let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. How many is ready to run this race with confidence this morning? Amen. We can also fight the good fight. First Timothy 6.12 says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you, were made, when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. We need to run a race. We need to fight a fight. I, 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 I tell you what, don't give up. Don't be weary in well-doing. Keep doing the good works that God's called you to do. Keep doing the good works that he's placed in front of you as an opportunity to bless his name and to expand his kingdom. Keep doing it. Fight the fight. Run the race. Reject the condemnation and say, I am saved. And Satan, you can't have my joy. You can't have my peace. And you can't have my confidence in what Jesus has done for me. It's a finished work. And I'm under it. And I'm resting in it. And I'm living through it. For the glory of God. One thing that I want to end with here today is this. I'm thankful that one day we're going to stand before the beam of judgment seat, all of us. And he's going to give out some rewards, but he's also going to be looking at our hearts. And this is what I want us to leave with here today, because he's looking at our heart condition. There's some people in this congregation that have a heart condition. And I'm not talking about physically where you might have some blockages. I'm talking about spiritually. And we need to make sure that our hearts are where they need to be. The vehement judgment seed is not to punish but it, is to, but it is for reward. But I want to say it another way. Once you're saved, works count. Once you're saved, works count. But it's never the amount of works, but it is the condition of the heart that matters. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10, 12, and 13. It says, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. 
and someone else is building on it. But each of you should build with care. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold and silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. So what it's saying is this, at this beam of seat judgment, this day is going to be that we're going to be held accountable for the things that we did for Christ, whether good or bad. We read about that a few moments ago. How we build matters. I'm thankful that I live in a house where the people that built it had a good solid foundation. It has some good sturdy framework and the brick is on it. And, you know, it's solid, right? I don't live in a straw hut. I don't live in a, a house of cards. It, it's a good solid place. I'm thankful that we're in a place where we can worship the Lord as well. We don't have any threat of this caving in on us. So I want to ask you a couple of questions here today. Are you doing things? You can say, yeah, I'm working for Jesus. I'm working for Jesus. Man, I'm doing the works. But let me ask you this. Are you doing things for recognition? Great job sort of thing. Nothing wrong with getting that acknowledgement. Good to be appreciative and bless people in that way. But if you're doing it so that you can get that recognition, a little bit of a heart issue there. Are you doing it to feed your pride? Look what I did. Look what I accomplished for Jesus. Your pride there? Is there something going on there? See, it's a heart condition. And the Holy Spirit wants to show us what that's all about. The motives behind what we do matter. Why are you doing what you're doing for God's kingdom. Jesus, it says, will judge what we do, and what we do is going to be refined by fire. What is that fire? It's his holiness. He's going to, we're going to stand before him, and he's going to, he's going to place his holiness on our works, on this pile, this package, whatever it is, of our works. And there's going to be some things that are going to burn away. There's going to be some things that are going to disappear. There's going to be some things that cannot stand up to the holiness of Jesus Christ. There's going to be some things of pride and, and wrong motives, just heart conditions that will not stand up to the holiness of Jesus Christ. When he lays his holiness on it, some of it may disappear. If we have the wrong motives or the wrong attitudes, some of us may suffer loss. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 3.15 says, if it's burned up, the builder will suffer, will suffer loss, but yet will still be saved. You see there? So it's not like, well, I'm sorry, all your stuff burned up, so that means you can't make it into heaven because there's nothing left. No, you're still going to be saved. It's just that all your works was worthless because you had the wrong heart attitude. You did it for the wrong motive, the wrong reasons. It says you're still going to suffer loss but be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames. Now, I don't want to run into heaven running through fire, you know. Although I know we're all of us going to have to. But if that fire is going to be a fire of his holiness and it purifies my works and I have at least something left, I will be oh so happy. Just one thing. <laughs> I'll be so happy because I want to do it with the right heart and the right attitude. Fire is the judgment and the holiness of the Lord. Deuteronomy 4.24 says the Lord your God is a consuming fire. He's a jealous God. So let's make sure that we have the right heart condition, you know, as you do what you do. And don't lose heart. Don't give up. John 
1 John 2.28 says, And now, dear children, continue in him. I'll just say this to you today. Continue in Jesus so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Keep at it, folks. Your reward is great. 2 John verse 8 says, Watch out that you don't lose what you've already worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Revelation 3.11 says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Oh, those crowns, by the way. What's going to end up happening is that that box, that pile, that whatever it is, that package that I give to Jesus, and he's going to put his holy judgment on it, and whatever's left is going to turn into this, I guess, sort of a crown sort of thing. It's going to melt into this beautiful crown, and he's going to put it on me, and I'm going to say, you know what? <laughs> Here you go. I cast it at your feet because it's nothing compared to who you are. So see how it comes right back to him anyway? I'm not going to be walking with a satchel full of rewards into heaven. I'm going to already cast it down at his feet and say, Jesus, you're enough. Amen. You're all that I've ever needed. So knowing what the beam of seed is about causes us to live faithful lives on the earth. Amen. Let's not be ashamed as we stand before the beam of judgment seat of Christ. So let's watch our hearts today because sin and indifference those are hard issues that can surely rob us of our present desire for serving the Lord. It robs us of our power because sin grieves the Holy Spirit. Sin causes us to pass up opportunities for service which we otherwise would have performed. That in turn means a loss of rewards because we will not have used our time, our talent, and our treasure for His glory. So today... I want to give us an opportunity. I'm standing here as well. All of us that we would repent of our heart conditions. That God would show us what we do. Why we do what we do for him. You know. And I would encourage you today. Let's run the race to win. Let's be active. Let's be full of the Holy Spirit. Let's be eager to please God. Do what you do as unto the Lord. Because your reward in Jesus is great. Would you stand with me this morning? And I just ask you again, if you would, if this is something the Lord's speaking to your heart and the Holy Spirit's kind of tapping on the door of your heart right now, if you're at home watching this, great. But for those of you who are here, I just ask you if you would, as you're standing, and say, all right, Lord, I, I want to make sure my heart is right. I want to make sure my heart condition is where it needs to be, that you would clean out all the stuff, adjust my heart spiritually. So that what I do for you, I do as unto you for the right reasons. If that's you this morning, and I invite you to come to this altar because I want to pray with you. And I'm, I'll be the first one to stand here. You'll join me. I'd sure appreciate it. So I'm not the only one that has a, that's confessing that has a heart condition. I don't want to do anything for the Lord that is for my own praise, you know. Now, here's what the Lord is saying to you for everyone that is doing something for him. He says, thank you. He appreciates it. He calls us to it. And really, I just got to say this too. It's really not an option. <laughs> I just add this one more part to it. He's called us to go. It's not an option. It's a command. And so as we receive Jesus, whatever that word go means is it's not just being a missionary to a foreign country, but it's, it's going and doing for him out of that appreciation for what he's done for us. So I think, again, too many times we've chosen 
we, we've considered it an optional thing. Well, I might do something for him. No, I promise you it's a command. But for those of us who are doing for him, let's just make sure. First off, he says thank you. But let's just make sure that that heart condition is where it needs to be. That we don't do it for any recognition, for any praise, for any reason, other than for the glory and the praise of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Would you bow your heads in prayer? Father, we thank you for the opportunities that we have, big and small, seen and unseen, with our time, talent, and treasure to do for you. We thank you, Jesus, that you've saved us from our sins and that we are assured of salvation because of that decision that we made to receive you as Lord and Savior and, and our choice to remain under that covering and pursue that relationship with you. So, Lord, Father, anything we do for you is not making us get into a higher level of heaven or extra rooms in our mansion or bonuses in any way. We do for you, not for salvation to earn it, but we do for you because of what you've done for us and because you've commanded us to. It's a go. It's, a, it's, an, it's an, an expression for us to go. So, Lord, we're standing here today, all of us at this altar, and we need you to check our hearts and forgive us for anything that we've done, anything that we've said, anything that, 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 that we've expected uh, praise or pats on the back or it's built up our pride or self-esteem or made us look good or whatever. God, we repent of that. How arrogant. How immature. How fleshly. Forgive us for that. Now, Father, show us what it looks like as we're all standing here. Show us what it looks like to move beyond doing stuff for you to get that pat on the back or, or, or for whatever reason that we do it. Show us what it looks like uh, to, to do it as unto you without any expectation of an acknowledgement or, re or a reward or a thanks, but we do it because we love you. Let us love you so much that what we do for you is because of that love and for no other reason. And your reward is good enough for us. Your blessings are good enough for us. Again, as we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, then all these other things are going to be added unto us. That's so simple to understand. That's so hard to do. Help us to walk it out, Holy Spirit. You've given each of us unique giftings, passions, assignments, responsibilities, privileges to do, to walk out with our families, at our workplaces, here at this church, or whatever. But it's all for your kingdom. So I pray, Father God, that you would be a spiritual heart surgeon today. Go in there and make the adjustments that need to be made. Show us what it looks like. Show us those things. Say, hey, here's the problem. Here's the problem. And then, Father, help us to confess it, to confront it, confess it, and, and that you would deliver us and that you would change us, change our hearts so that we're not prideful but humble, that we're not uh, insecure but that we're secure in you, that we're not looking for recognition but that our recognition is all because of you and that you would say, well done, well done, well done one day. And that's all that matters. So, Father, show us what it is. Check our hearts out. Adjust it, change it, transform it, whatever you got to do to make us more like Christ. And, Father, we thank you that one day we're going to stand before this beam of seat. Jesus, just you and me as individuals, 
We're going to stand there face to face with your loving, beautiful heart. And you're going to say thank you. And you're going to give us rewards. And you're working in our hearts now so that those rewards won't burn up. <laughs> but then we'll have a pretty decent pile left that you're going to transform to this crown. <laughs> and then we're going to take that crown that you're going to place on our heads as king's kids. And we're going to say, oh, no, 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 here you go. We're going to cast it back down at your feet. Oh, we look forward to that day. We look forward to that day. But until then, help us to have something to present to you that will make it through your holy fire of judgment and that you can say, well done. Father, I pray that everything that we lay our hands to do as those that are stand, standing up here today, everything that we lay our hands to do will prosper and succeed for your kingdom. Those things that you called us to do, those that are in the congregation, maybe the, those that are watching here from home, Lord, everything that we do, may it prosper and succeed for your glory and help us to all have the right attitude and heart going forward that what we do we do for you because of what you've done for us because we love you because you're worth it and that's enough hallelujah would you just lift up your hands congregation and just receive it and thank him it's all right lord here's my heart show me those dark places those those fleshly places those things that don't belong i give you my heart now do do the surgery do the procedure whatever you got to do i give you my heart Help me to go from here, Lord God, with that new heart changed in you, being changed in you, being transformed in you. Lord, I know that I'm going to struggle with this day by day. Flesh is going to rise up. My old habits, that muscle that I've been working, a flesh is going to rise up and I'm going to fall into that little groove there. But Lord, I don't want to be that way anymore. I want you to, I want you to help me to work that new muscle that new spiritual muscle that gives you praise and glory and honor and doesn't look for anything of recognition but just has the right heart to do what I do for you. Go with us from this place and grant that I pray, Lord Jesus. And we love you and we thank you for this. And all God's people said, Amen. Yeah, give him praise. Amen.